in heaven, we come before you tonight thanking you for this beautiful weather, for the food that we enjoyed, for all of your blessings, Lord. There's so many. We could thank you every day for each second of the day, and it wouldn't be enough. So, Father, just receive our praise and thanksgiving. Help us, Lord God, to learn about you tonight. We pray to you, Lord God, on behalf of our country. We ask that, Father, you'd pour out your Holy Spirit on this country and that you would help our president and all of our elected officials to do your will. We pray for those who are anti-divine establishment and are trying to uh, take people away from your word, that you would send them quite a conviction, Father. Lord in heaven, we also want to pray for uh, our servicemen and women, that you'd keep them safe wherever they're at. Give them Christian fellowship, Lord. Father, help our president, all of our elected officials. And Father, we just pray that you will um, protect this country against those who would want to destroy it. Father, help your Christian people around the world with their health, their marriages, or if they're single, their families, jobs and businesses, ministries. Help those who are suffering, living in countries where they cannot worship you openly, living in and through some type of disaster. Father, we do pray that you will um, please just open your word to us tonight so that we can gain knowledge and wisdom, discretion and understanding from it. We pray for all those that are sick in our congregation, Lord, and that you would have your hand of healing on them. For those who are traveling, that you'd uh, give them safe travel. Father, for those who are still fearful about the virus, we ask that, Lord, you would um, soothe their hearts and give them wisdom concerning the whole uh, thing, Father. Thank you for that, Lord, and thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for your word. Thank you especially for sacrificing yourself and your son, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your precious life, your death, your resurrection, and your ascension, your intercession, which gives us access to the Father. We see you, Lord Jesus, in these pages of the Bible, even in the Old Testament, and so we do ask that you make that picture even clearer. Father, thank you so much for everything you do. We pray that you will help all of the pastors and teachers that are teaching your word by means of your spirit to study and to present your word accurately. Lord, use this uh, crisis that we have gone through and are still going through to build your kingdom in some way, shape, or form. And we'll give you the praise and glory, Lord. We thank you, we love you, and we look forward to your word, Lord. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends, we are in Genesis, let's see, 20, right? Yeah, I think we touched on it, but we didn't, we didn't, certainly didn't uh, finish it. So let's explore Genesis 20. 19, we saw Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed because of the wickedness there. You know, the question was asked to me before Bible class. Um, I'm on. 
Louder. Oh. Move a little closer. Come on in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, will the church go through the tribulation? That, that was the question. Okay. Um, it is a fact that we will all go through tribulation. But, and we're doing that now. And we've done that, you know, ever since. It says in the Bible that people, the people of God can expect tribulation in their lives. The tribulation, the seven-year tribulation as mentioned in uh, the book of Revelation, is a time of outpouring of God's anger against unbelieving the unbelieving world. And it says, and I'm going to read it to you. Let me see, I've got to find it first. Hold on just a second. This is very, very important that you have this verse underlined. Serious? Turn it up just a little bit, would you, hon? Thank you. I'm not talking right now, by the way, so. That's probably why you can't hear me. <laughs> you have a problem. Okay, where in the heck is it? Um, hold on just a second here. Second oh. Timothy. Wow. That's terrible. I don't I can't find it. Yeah, we're not appointed to suffer wrath. Second Thessalonians. Uh no. Um Second Thessalonians. Wow, I can't believe I can't find it. Well the Bible verse says this. It says that we are not appointed to suffer wrath, but we are appointed to receive salvation. During the during the seven last seven years of the tribulation, or during the seven years of the tribulation, that is going to be a time of God's wrath. What God is going to do is He's going to take His ambassadors, which are us. The Bible says we are ambassadors for Christ. He will take His ambassadors out before that wrath begins. Now, that does not mean... Do you find it? 1 Thessalonians 5.9. Wow, how did I miss that? Yeah. Here's what it says. 1 Thessalonians 5.9. It says, For God di did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, people that do not understand dispensations and how God's work, God works with different nations and different economies, they do not understand these the scriptures because they lump everything together. They lump the Pentecostal um, uh, 
point of view together. They lump the... I mean, they, they, they don't distinguish between dispensations. We've studied dispensations several times, and we'll study it again if anybody has problems with it, or I'll give you the studies that we have. But we're not going to go through the tribulation, but we are going to go through tribulation. Does that make sense to everybody? Um, you know, you, you live in this world, you're going to go through tribulation. It's that simple. And, and Jesus even said that. Well, back to Genesis chapter 20. It says this, now, in verse 1, Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of, of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. Can everybody hear me now? Everybody? Yeah? You good? Okay. I'm in, I'm in Genesis chapter 20. Okay. It says, For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Now this is 25 years after he did the same exact thing in Genesis 12, 11. Okay. He said Sarah was his his sister, and this is a different, uh, probably a different Abimelech. 90, uh, the, uh, Abraham at this point in time is, is, let's see if it says how old he is. No, it doesn't, but. So, he's making the same mistake that he made before. Let's see what the result is. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God said to Abimelech in a dream one night, but God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead, because the woman you have taken, she is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And didn't she also say, He is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. So, at this point, Abraham had not fully dealt with his sinfulness in this regard. He is fearful, right? He's fearful for his life. Hopefully, he's fearful for Sarah's life. And so he lies, or at least half lies, which is a lie. Uh, he lies to the king because Sarah was his half-sister. Now... God intervenes in this whole thing in a dream or in a vision to the king. And it's interesting because he says, don't do it. So, in verse 6, Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. So Abraham backslides into this old pattern he has. He fails to trust in the Lord. He's not completely dealt with this problem, and that's something that we all kind of do, don't we? 
you know? We need to deal, and I'm just as, you know, I'm speaking to myself here. We need to deal with whatever sins seem to beset us. And that's what the Bible says. So, Abraham, you think about what the witness to this king was. Well, he lied. He was deceptive. Uh, that king could have gotten in big trouble with the Lord if he would have done something. So this was kind of a bummer that Abraham did this, and Abraham is still growing. And you know what I notice about this story with Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob, etc., is God is so forgiving. He's so forgiving even when we make our own mistakes and he, he has a way of even sometimes turning our mistakes into good. So we go on here in verse 8. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Isn't that funny? He, he had a, these, we got to assume these people were unbelievers. And yet they had a fear of the Lord, which apparently was missing around this time in Abraham's heart. It says in verse 9, Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? So this king, this unbelieving king, is rebuking, is rebuking um, Abraham, who's a believer. What have you done to us? How have I wronged you so that you have brought such guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Okay, so let's see what the lame excuse Abraham gives. Verse 11, Abraham replied, Well, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Wasn't that kind of the same problem exactly that he faced before? Yeah. Okay, so that's, yeah. Besides, now he's trying to justify himself a little bit here. She really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, Say, yeah, lie for me. Say you're my sister. Say I'm your brother. I mean, you know, what happened to the head of the household here? Okay, what happened to uh, the man protecting the woman here? Uh, she's, he's kind of put her in a bad place. So, verse 14. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. Boy, that wouldn't go over very good today, would it? The, the male and female slave thing. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. So this did turn out to be favorable toward Abraham and Sarah. To Sarah he said, I'm giving your brother... So he calls him his brother. 
Going to where there's a little irony. I'm giving your brother, okay, a thousand shekels of silver. That's quite a bit of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife and slave girl, so that they could have children again. So apparently the punishment for this was barrenness of his, his wives and his slave girls. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Now, chapter 21. So 25 years have passed now since Abraham left Ur. God told him to leave his country and his family and that he would make a great nation out of him, etc., etc. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 12. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Wow. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I question God's timing. Okay? Lord, I've prayed about this for years and years and years. How come you don't answer my prayer? Right? But you know what? God's timing is always perfect. His timing for when Jesus came into the world was perfect. His timing for uh, Sarah to get pregnant was exactly according to his word when he told Abraham that in a year from now, your wife is going to give birth. Okay? Now, verse 3. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. The circumcision was a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham and Abraham's descendants. And it was for more than just health reasons. Circumcision is also a spiritual sign that we are to um, discard the acts of the flesh away from us. We are to, to not uh, keep them. Now, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. So Abraham is 86 years old now. Okay, that's how old he is. 80, or, excuse me, he's, he's 100. He's 100, you're right. Yeah, he was 86 when Ishmael was born. Okay, so it's, yeah, 14 years now. And Sarah gives birth. See, I was just testing you. You passed, okay? Uh huh. <laughs> so it says Abraham, verse 5, was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of cool because the word Isaac means laughter. And so every time Sarah or Abraham would tell someone, oh, this is my son Isaac, and they would go, laughter? And she would be able to remember the time when Abraham laughed 
when the Lord told him, but his laugh was one of uh, just, just joy at what was going to happen. And Sarah laughed behind the door of the tent because she said, am I going to have a kid? I'm this old. I don't know, man. This is kind of, you know, not, probably not going to happen. So both of them laughed. It was a different laugh for each one. So God names the son laughter so that that will be a witness not only to Abraham and Sarah for the rest of their life, but to the other people too. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah, to Abraham, that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now, this birth of Isaac okay, was miraculous, right? And it was a foreshadowing of the birth of Christ, because Christ's birth was also miraculous. Verse 8, the child grew and was weaned. So he was probably somewhere between two and five years old in, in this situation. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. So he didn't hold a great feast when um, Isaac was born, because that might have been a little too much for Sarah. He didn't hold a great feast when everybody was circumcised because I'm sure they weren't feeling real well. Okay? So he holds a great feast when Isaac is weaned. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham, that would be Ishmael, was mocking and she said to Abraham, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. So, the question that I have for you is, did Sarah say that in anger, or did she say that prophetically? A little of both? Maybe? Yeah? Let me read uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 1 to 9 to you. And uh, this, this contains a, um, Paul, Paul breaches this subject, 9, 1 to 9. Here's what it says. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off for Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons, theirs the divine glory, the covenant, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. So uh, Paul kind of gives us a little short summary of the nation of Israel's relationship with the Lord. They, they saw God's divine glory, God gave them the covenants, of which there were several. They received the law. They had the temple worship. The Jews worshipped in the temple. And they had the promises. Not only that, in verse 5, theirs are the patriarchs. And from them, the patriarchs, is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God for, over all forever and praised. Amen. So, if you look at the Jewish race, 
I mean, God kept blessing him and blessing him and blessing him and blessing him, right? Christ came through the Jewish race. But, in verse 6, Paul says, it is not as though God's word had failed. Just because Israel failed, it's not because God's word failed. Okay? He goes on. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, and he's speaking right now about Ishmael was a descendant of Abraham, but he was not of the promise. Isaac was of the promise. It says here, on the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. That's a direct quote from God. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. And we just read that in a previous chapter of Genesis. So he quotes that. So, uh, and then he goes on to quote uh, about Rebecca's children, etc. Now, there's more. So, Abraham is said by his wife, get rid of the slave woman and the son. Now, you can imagine how distressful that is to Abraham. He loved his kid. He didn't want to see him go. You know, but the promise, how did Ishmael come about? Was it through a divine promise or was it through the flesh? It was through the flesh. And so there is an analogy here, folks. There's an analogy of the flesh and the spirit. And in Galatians chapter 5, let me read that to you, okay? Galatians chapter 5, Paul goes into it even further. He says this. Come on. Let me see. 5, Galatians 5, uh, 16. He says this. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. We just read, let me, let me quote it, Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. He was mocking uh, Isaac. And so they, the flesh and the spirit, which this is a picture of, is in conflict with each other, which is why the flesh had to be put away. He says this, uh, they are in conflict each other, with each other so that you do not do what you want, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, let me read some more to you in, in Galatians chapter 4, and I'm going to be in verse 21. And he's, what was the problem with the Galatian church? Do you remember? Yes. Legalism. Legalism. They went from obeying and worshiping God in the Spirit 
to trying to go back under the law and worshiping and obeying God under the law. What's the problem with the law? You can't keep it. And what does the Bible say? If you break the law in one point, you've broken the whole law. Which means this. I might be a, a very good law keeper, but if I go 45 miles an hour down Royal Street out to Highway 62 in a 25 mile an hour zone, I'm a lawbreaker. I've broken the law. I am a lawbreaker. Now, what's that? Ushers, can you... Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Okay, so listen to this now. Tell me, he says, Paul is, Paul is writing and he doesn't mince any words to these Galatians. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, by the flesh, right? But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. Now think about this for just a minute, okay? Abraham is 86 years old. Sarah is roughly 10 years younger than him, so she's around 75 or 6, all right? And they are still capable of having children. So... Ishmael is a son according to the flesh. When Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 90, they were incapable of having children, which is why God waited until the situation became impossible so that it wouldn't be because of the flesh, it would be because of a promise, the promise made by the Holy Spirit. Do you see that, everybody? Okay, so God had this all figured out way ahead of time. He says this, These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, what happened on Mount Sinai? The giving of the law, huh? Yeah. Okay, so that's what he's referring to. That was the covenant that happened on Mount Sinai. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Now, the physical Jerusalem at this point in time, what was their relationship to Jesus Christ? What had the people of Jerusalem done to Jesus Christ? They authorized and, and uh, uh, mandated his crucifixion, his death, to the authorities. So when he says this, he says, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai, that's where the law was given, in Arabia, and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because the Jews in Jerusalem were still under the law. They were still maintaining their religiosity under the law, they had rejected the Savior. They had sent him to the cross via the Roman army, and, uh, and, and, and so they were still in, in, under the law. Now, why is Jerusalem, it says, because she is in slavery with her children. 
But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children, break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. So believers are not under the law. Christ is equals freedom, and the Mosaic law equals slavery. Look what verse 28 says. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, see, we're, we're studying about Isaac right now. Like Isaac are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. We just read that, right? Okay. Isn't it neat how Paul explains some of the stuff that we read in the Old Testament? It says, It is the same now, Paul says, verse 30. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Now, this may seem somewhat cruel in a way, but it isn't. And why isn't it? Because God took care of Ishmael. He became the father of great nations, all of the Arab nations. And we're going to see that as we go on. We'll, we'll uh, get into that here, well, in just a few verses. So, verse 11 of Genesis 21. Okay? Genesis 21, 11. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. You notice he doesn't call her wife. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Paul just quoted that. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. So God is willing to even bless what we would look at as maybe a mistake. Okay. It says here, so, so God tells Abraham to listen to his wife, all right, and to, to send the maidservant and the son away. This distresses Abraham, but God says, I'm going to make him into a great nation that had to come for him some, all right. Early the next morning, we're going to see this again. Abraham was amazing. He did not mess around sometimes. With, when God told him to do something, there's two or three different times where he says, early in the morning. Now me, right, I would have said, well, wait a minute, whoa, whoa. i got to have my coffee with Ishmael first. And, you know, we've got to go down to, to, the, to the donut store and grab some donuts and... Yeah, I just want to talk to him. I'm going to kind of advise him about desert living and, you know, stuff like that. I would want to delay it as long as possible. But Abraham, God said, do it. Abraham says, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. 
she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. Well, Ishmael would, would come to live in the desert. He became an uh, archer, we're going to see in verse 20, and he married an Egyptian woman. Ishmael, it's, it seems evident that Ishmael maybe was not a believer. Okay? For sure, the Arabs and whatnot are not believers in the true God today. They have substituted a moon god or whatever, and we can get into that some other time. Now, so, Abraham took some food in a skin of water. This is not very, very much in the way of supplies, is it? And sent her off in the desert. A skin of water couldn't have been real big. And some food, just what she could carry. Verse 15, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bow shot away. For she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. Well, so we've got a problem here. Because... Let me see if I can find it here. Go back to Genesis chapter 16 with me. And uh, let's do verse 7, 16, 7, okay? This is when Abraham sent Hagar away the first time. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. So she was on her way back home to Egypt. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm run away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child, that's Ishmael, and you will have a son, you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man, his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. So, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lehi Roy, it is still there be between Kadesh and Beret. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So, God had made her a promise, yes? Previous to this time when Abraham sent her and Ishmael off 13 years later. So she stayed with Sarai and Abram, Abraham for another 13 years. Now, that takes us back here to verse 15, chapter 21. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes and she went off and sat down nearby. About a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And she sat there nearby and began to sob. So what does that tell you about Hagar? 
She was having trouble believing the promises of God too, wasn't she? Yeah. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God, was, God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. So, basically, the angel of the Lord says, Hagar, stop throwing yourself a pity party. Okay? You produce some action. Take the boy. Get going. Everything's going to be fine. I'm going to make a great nation out of it. Okay? Now, this is very interesting. Verse 19. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Now, this is kind of interesting because we can relate this to ourselves. You ever thrown yourself a pity party? Okay, so here we are, sitting, having a pity party. Nobody's attending except us, right? And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. What does water represent in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. So, you know, when we are tempted to be so depressed or so distressed that we can't see the future, we can't see what's going to happen in certain situations, we just need to take a drink of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, your timing is perfect. You, you keep your promises. I'm reading about them. You even kept your promise to a slave girl and her son. Certainly, you're going to keep your promise to me. Now, verse 22. At that time, Abimelech, he was a king, and Phicol, the commander of his forces, so this is his general, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. When uh, Abimelech said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do, we look at chapter 12, verse 2, and it says this, I will make your name great. Here is, he's in this land of the Philistines and he has encountered this king and this king recognizes that Abraham is a great man and he's with God and God is with him. And so that uh, prophecy comes true. Now swear, verse 23, to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown to you. Well, when Abraham tried to deceive Abimelech, you know, saying that Sarah was, her, was his sister, Abimelech takes Sarah into his household. God tells him in a dream, you're in big trouble. 
Abimelech. You better give her back. And then what does Abimelech do? Well, he gives him sheep and oxen and gives Sarah a thousand shekels of silver. And I mean, they came out pretty good in the whole deal. Then Abraham said, verse 24, I swear it. Verse 25, then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Water was very important, just as it is today, and we're going to, to, to see that Isaac has the same problems, okay? Abraham's son. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So what Abraham is doing here with the king is he is securing ownership of the well and his right to live in this land. Right? He's making a treaty with the king of this land that he's going to live here and they're going to be at peace with each other. Now, verse 31, So that place was called Beersheba, because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham, now, so Abraham's starting to settle in now. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. So, I don't know. A long time. I'm not sure. Um, he probably died there. He probably died there. So if Abraham is about 100, I think Abraham died at 175, we figured out last week. So he probably, probably lived there for about 75 years. We'll find out here, hopefully. Oh, Isaac, I don't know. We'll have to find that one out. He, he, he might have been, yeah. 25-7 was when he died. He was 175, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know how long he stayed in the land. I'm guessing he stayed in the land from age 100 to 175. Maybe it'll tell us. Now, verse 1 of chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Man, you can almost always plan that after you receive a great blessing, there's going to be a test. Okay? It's almost guaranteed. And why would God test Abraham after a great blessing? To see if his heart would stray from him? I've got the blessing now, right? How strong his faith was, yeah. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Mount Moriah, uh, most, most commentators believe that that is 
the same place that Jesus Christ was crucified, which would have been Calvary. Okay? Yeah. So think about this. As Think about Calvary as we read this. Take your son and go to the region of Moriah. Oh, God wants me to go on a little trip. Okay, fine. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Okay, that's not good. Wow. Okay, I like the part about going on a trip. I didn't like the part about the sacrifice. So, Abraham dilly-dallies. He rose early again. I would have dilly-dallied. I would have like, oh, let's see, Lord, i got to pack. You know, this is going to take me a while, probably a couple years. Um, and, you know, we got to get some provisions and food. And I mean, I would have delayed it as long as I could have, but no. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. So, as we go to uh, 21, 22.1, it says, sometime later. So, Isaac was probably a young man at this point. He certainly wasn't a boy. He was uh, at least in his later teens or probably in his early 20s. Now, when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Put yourself in Abraham's place. Three days. Three days with his only son, Isaac. Did he tell Isaac what was going to happen? Did he tell Isaac what God had told him? Um, Isaac didn't resist, right? So Isaac had faith, no doubt about that. Hard to know what, it's hard to know what happened during those three days. Well, that's right, he says, where, where, where's the, uh, yeah, so he didn't tell him, did he? No. Good job, I was testing you. Okay, see, I couldn't do this without you guys. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the, with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Wow, that's faith. Let me read something out of Hebrews eleven, seventeen. Eleven seventeen. here's what it says. By faith. Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises, that's Abraham, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. That's amazing. Wow. So, when Abraham, we're going to read, when Abraham lifted up the knife to kill his son, sacrifice his son, and he was, he in his mind, 
had already reasoned, if God makes me kill the boy, he can raise the boy from the dead. Because the promise, God's promised that the descendants would come through this boy. No wonder he's called the father of faith, huh? Man. Now, okay. Verse 6, chapter 22, Genesis. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. What is this a picture of? Jesus going up to Calvary carrying the wood. And God himself will, will provide the sacrifice, the lamb. And, and what's that? It's a type, isn't it? It's a, it's a perfect type of what actually happened in the New Testament. Bill? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Let's, 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 let's read the rest of it because Isaac, his faith had to be pretty strong. You know, Abraham undoubtedly raised him in the faith. Now, so, verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Put yourself in this situation right now that we're going to read about. When they had reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar and there arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Wow is right. You know, Isaac was probably strong enough to where he could have resisted Abraham. What the heck is going on here, Dad? I'm not going to do this. This is no good. No, no way. I'm not. Apparently he didn't do that. It says here, Then he reached out his hand, verse 10, and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. I can just imagine Abraham going, Here I am! I'm right here! Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. You know, did God know what was going to happen? Of course he did. So who was this really for? It was for Abraham. Because in verse 1 of chapter 22, sometime later God tested Abraham. This was a test for Abraham. Now, yeah, Jesus, he, re, he reviled not when he was reviled, right? Jesus gave up his life willingly. Technically, 
Okay, technically, technically, was Jesus murdered? Technically, he gave up his life willingly. So he acquiesced to the Father's demand to sacrifice his life for the sins of many. And the Romans and the Jews were just used by God to perform the act. Now, in verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. How convenient. God did provide, huh? He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. This is the first time that uh, I believe that that name of the Lord is used. The Lord will provide. It says... Uh, so Abraham called this that place the, the, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Now, verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies. And through your offering, all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So this offspring refers, of course, to Jesus Christ. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah, now this is Abraham's relatives who remained in Mesopotamia. Abraham left, and he left his family. So now he's going to get word of his family. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor. So Nahor is Abraham's brother. Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. But, you know, these are some Bible names I'm glad people don't use. Um, that, you know, Hazo, I'm not sure about that one. Milcah bore, uh, excuse me, verse 23, Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Reumah, also had sons, Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Meakah. Let's go into 23 and at least get that one done. Sarah, verse, 20, uh, verse 1, 23, lived to be 127 years old. So Isaac is somewhere around... 37 now. She died 127. Yeah, because, let's see, she had Isaac when she was 90. So yes, uh, Isaac would be 37 now. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, 
where Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites were, uh, they were a very um, violent tribe of people that lived in the land. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. So they held him in high esteem. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you this, his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so he will sell me the cave of, um, wow, Machpelah? Machpelah? Now, by the way, this cave would be where Sarah would be buried, Abraham would be buried, Isaac would be buried there, Rebekah, Jacob, and Leah were all, would all be buried in this same cave. Now, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field, ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site from among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who could come to the gate of his city. No, my Lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Now what he's saying here is he's saying basically if you want the cave, you've got to buy the field too. And this was, um, this was Bedouin bargaining at its finest. You have to buy the field to get the cave. We're going to see here that Abraham bowed down, verse 12, before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. So he's going to buy the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. It probably wasn't, but that's the price he put on it. But what is that between me and you, bury your dead? Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah, near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the border of the field, was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Well, the next chapter 24 is um, a long one, so we'll tackle that one next week. Okay, yes. Where did you read that? Was it in there? 
No, he, he gave Sarah a thousand shekels. Yeah, it was a thousand. Yeah. So they still made money on the deal. <laughs> There's 600 shekels to the good. <laughs> well, next uh, week we'll study about Isaac and Rebekah. And this is a very uh, lovely story about how uh, Abraham is getting old and he sends his servant to go find a um, wife from among his relatives. The relatives that we talked about in chapter 22, verse 20 on. And we'll study about that and hopefully we'll get to um, 25 and 26 and we're really rolling along now, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us, Lord, to be willing to have the faith that Abraham exercised when he sacrificed or was willing to sacrifice his son. Help us to be willing to sacrifice the things that are near and dear to us that we might receive your blessing. Lord, bless this Sunday service and the Saturday hot dog feast with the men. And Lord, we just give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We made it.